0: Hello and welcome to What Our Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week and decide what our point, or if in fact there are no point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at What Our Point. Today is Monday, August 24th, and we have our international panel, we'll call it, of Salah Husseini hello, and Nicholas Rodman. They call me Dennis. And we have our normal What our Point contributors of Dan Beckshaw. Hello. And Ben Sally. Hello. This week the main story was uh, the deal that was struck between the Israeli government and the United Arab Emirates, which um, has sort of been in the making for a long time. You could say it was started at a, a cafe in D.C. called Cafe Milano by a... Ambassador to the UAE, living in the U.S., named Otaibi. Um, Otaibi. What? How do you say his name? Huh?
1: Yusuf Oteba.
0: Okay, so wait, start us off with that story. How does? Who is his uh, fictional doppelganger?
1: Yeah. So for Veep uh, pe- fans out there, uh, the character that Selena dated, the sort of the Middle Eastern sheik, is very closely based on uh, this ambassador Yusuf Oteba, who's known to be sort of a wheeler and dealer in in the dc political scene
0: okay so part of the strange part of the story at least was that this guy is known for having these extravagant dinners at a restaurant called cafe milano that i guess sometime last year netanyahu was having a dinner there the same night and they got word to each other that they wanted to talk and through that meeting months later now there's a deal that allows full recognition. Israel now is fully recognized by the UAE, and they're also allowed to import arms. There's flights that are now allowed between the two countries. Um, Salah, could you explain sort of your take on the deal?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, this was, a, I think, a long time coming and um, sort of symbolizes a, a realignment in the region that's been happening for, for the last decade or so, which Hits the, the Saudis, the Emiratis, the Bahrainis, and to a certain extent the Qataris, uh, now in bed with the Israelis to check or counter the power of Iran and its proxies, uh, the Syrian regime, Hezbollah, um, the Houthis in Yemen, and, and a few other actors. So it's not at all a surprise and, and probably uh, I think we can expect the Saudis and the, and, the, and the Bahrainis to follow suit in the next next few years. You know but the unfortunate thing of course is that the the palestinians are basically left out of this this sort of uh, sort of deal they're kind of the forgotten victims in this uh, in this arrangement and you know for the common arab citizen i think they're they're stuck between a shitty option with the saudis and the israelis and the and the and the rest and a shittier option with iran and its proxies and it's um yeah, you know, sort of a, uh, uh, or you know, the the worst of both worlds, if you ask me, as a you know, a, someone of 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 Arab extraction with, a, what with you, an interest in the region.
0: Nicholas the Worm Rodman,
2: what do you think? Uh, thank you for that comparison. Um, yeah, I, to I mean, I, I definitely echo the last point that it, it really is Iran brought these two countries together. You know, I, I think that leverage points were not there for. A progress on the Israeli-Palestinian peace front, but I really think that this an emboldened Iran that you know has expanded its presence in the region and over the last you know decade ha- has really brought a lot of these Gulf countries closer to closer together, with the exception of Qatar, but closer together with with Israel, you know, including the Saudis, Bahrainis, and the Omanis. So this was, I think, an inevitable inevitable. Uh, you know, summit that I think was going to was going to happen. And, you know, I, ultimately, I think it's a positive, positive thing. But I, I, I do not know. I, d- I definitely think that one needs to look at Iran's activities in the region to to sort of answer some of the questions about how this came about.
0: But don't you OK, for me, the worrying part of the deal is that the Israelis for years, as Netanyahu is building up toward re election, has sort of almost become similar to the U.S. political structure where he's trying to rile up his base with sort of red meat issues, and one of those is settlements. And in the lead-up to this, he seemed to grow in aggressiveness toward uh, the settlement policy, expansionist policy, and then used that as a concession in the deal. So it, in my mind, incentivizes countries like Israel to be aggressive because then uh, it sort of allows you to get Things that you've been working toward, or recognition. What do you think, there?
2: I mean, couldn't you say that it incentivizes Gulf countries to further expand their their relationship with Israel in order to seek their own concessions when it comes to settlements? That, he, you know, the, the Israeli government does have a track record of abiding by its its agreements in, in terms of settlements. Or, pull, you know, it pulled out of Gaza in '05, um, and so it. You know, for the most part, it it's you know has peaceful relations with Egypt and Jordan, so I, I think the incentives can go b- both ways.
1: Yeah, but I think the the threat that the Netanyahu administration made was was um, you know not continued settlements, but at full annexation of the West Bank, which you know is completely illegal under international law. Uh, there's no there's no country with probably the exception of the United States that would look the other way to such a such a land grab. So to kind of use these really aggressive kind of threats as as leverage points is it's it's really problematic and uh, you know the, the fact that it, I, to me i guess what i want to say is to me it seemed like a bit of a bluff because annexation or not the israelis have been annexing the west bank for 40 plus years so it, it is a bit of an empty threat in the sense that they are going to continue building settlements they're going to continue grabbing palestinian land and that doesn't change the political dynamic on the ground and and the impact on the on the Palestinians but they were able to extract this deal by by making this bluff about full annexation which i think is kind of kind of meaningless so uh, i'm not sure exactly what the israelis are giving up in the situation other than to say we now you know have fully and officially taken over the full west bank which they're doing piecemeal, anyways.
0: So, is the two-state solution basically over? What do you think, Dan?
3: I think. I mean, I think it was probably never really going to happen in our lifetimes. I don't know. Just with the way that I think politics has drifted and the alliances have shifted, right? I think there was a world in which one of the last five elections where Israel has failed to actually to form a governing coalition. if One of them had they'd be coalition. Fully crumble, then maybe there was a possibility, but I don't think that was going to happen. I just I think in the U.S. you have one party who is completely co-opted to no two-state solution, and the other that is ambivalent, probably coming around to not ambivalent, but ambivalent. Uh, And so,
2: no, I don't think so. Can I can I caveat off of Dan's comment? Of course. Um, well, the way the way I look at Israeli politics. Has a lot to do with what goes on in the region, and I think Bibi has been somewhat. He's presented himself as a candidate, as the president to to check Iran in Israeli politics. And I think these right Israeli no, politics,
3: and I think that's exactly he's, he's very prescient in that thread, and I think that has held him helped him like overcome his you know personal you know yeah. egregious moral violations as a politician.
2: But what I, what I'm saying is, I think that a large large part of that is the Iran nuclear deal in 15 really kind of stoked fears within Israel about its existence because it was sort of the U.S. The way it was viewed in Israel was that the U.S. was repositioning itself in favor of Iran and kind of turning a blind eye to Hezbollah activities and Iranian aggression in Syria and among other places, and Iraq. And that further fueled this sense within Israeli politics that Bibi is literally the only person that can kind of hold this country together against Iran because our greatest ally, in the United States, has essentially kind of gone soft with Iran.
3: I think, I mean, I don't know. I see the Iran nuclear deal and this deal as two halves of the same of the US pivot away from the Middle East, right? Like we've had. It's been a terrible strategy for the last 30 years that the United States has been so involved in the Middle East. It is the largest failure of the Republican Party, and I think it'll be on their deathbed that they wasted trillions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of lives meddling in the Middle East. And if the U.S. 50 years from now becomes a secondary power, that will be why. And so I think these are both realis- Both parties have realized that the Middle East is a folly and every day our foreign policy is focused on it is a day that we are wasting away as a power. And so yeah, I think that, these are just a, two parts of that a, same.
2: Extremely simplistic view of the world. Um, I don't think I think that if the U.S. Were probably really...
3: correct. Right. That's the thing. Right. That's the great way is a simplistic view of the world is usually the rest, right? people act no. in their own self-interest. And when we tried to folly and have fun and do crazy war things, it was our own failure. Right, George Washington had it best. We should stay within our shores.
2: I mean, I think a lot. I think 150 years of of foreign policy history can would disprove that. Um, I mean, under we, we yeah, that was very isolationist
3: of you, Dan. That was like right? I didn't expect I think, such an isolationist view of the world. There's difference between isolationist and non-crazy aggressive like let's just spend money and give it to defense contractors view of the world right
2: no that's isolation. i have a so view that's the definition of, of isolationism. no right. i just i disagree i mean those are talking points from father cowlin who was a, a crazy you know crazy former catholic priest who had a radio show in the 1930s like the america first party came from the 1930s
3: um i don't know this is how about let's put it this way nicholas 160 170,000 people have died as of today of COVID and we care the Republican Party cares less about that than it did the September 11th attack. So, hey, wait, wait, this is maybe an
0: interesting pivot. So, I have been wondering about this larger trend, which is that although um sort of globalization had its moment where everybody's like, "Oh man, look at how interconnected and great everything is." There has been a trend around the world everyone can see it where every, where countries are starting to isolate and become more uh wary of their neighbors, and you wonder where at what level does some some level of isolationism work or sort of like getting your own home home in order before you you know expound your exceptionalism around the world versus how much of our system has has already sort of the um the supply chains are already too interconnected and too global for it to be for that egg to be uncracked. It seems like there is this. These competing notions for, around the world for people: how much of, how much should we open, and how much do we now need to to focus again on our own domestic policies?
2: Can I? I, I I'm gonna. I'll I'll keep quiet after this comment. Uh, Dan, you're like the Detroit Pistons. Anyway, bad, bad analogy. But
3: the... <laughs> I don't know what what era the 2003. I, I mean, I think exactly. I would say if you're like say the that's Kirk I could be the '03 Detroit,
4: Detroit Pistons. That's like then, then that's the no, pretty impressive no, because the they're, they're the worst
3: team in the NBA. But if, you, the if the argument Pistons. is that I don't need things that are flashy, I would just like to like play defense and win. Then yes, that no, sounds it, great to me. So, and you could be the Showtime Lakers, circa you know Kobe Bryant meltdown, Shaq being traded era. I'm I'd gonna be it. quiet after
2: this comment. A bunch
3: of old like old Carl Malone was past his prime but living Nick in his has, glory years. Nick has sort of built like Joel and Bede, actually role. with like a big lower backside, a big frame.
1: Shaq kind of has a
2: big butt, but well, his butt, his butt's more flat. Like I don't I don't know if I have a flat. My dad had a flat butt, but
1: so don't edit that. Out,
2: I can't yeah, continue. edit that out please. Um the a canon of the Democratic Party for the last oh. I would say like since the 80s has been the prevention of the proliferation of nuclear weapons. And I find it kind of shocking that is is—is this the official platform of the Democratic Party to suddenly just say, hands up, like, let's get out. Who cares if countries develop nuclear weapons? You know, it's not our problem. And I think oh,
3: that I have a question: Is it the official platform of the Republican Party for the last 20 years to lie about countries having nuclear weapons as a, a excuse to invade them?
2: I'm gonna. Uh, the I difference. don't think I don't I'm even think, the think the that Richard Butler' weapons of mass destruction list included nuclear weapons. But uh, I do think that Syria had a nuclear weapons program that Israel bombed in 2007. I think that. Wait, so Israel it, did it, not it, us. What,
3: That's helpful. So we we didn't succeed there. Okay. Was
2: it? Uh, you know, was it was it nice of the Obama administration to? Release like millions of dollars to go directly to the IRGC to essentially continue to fuel about, Iran's wars in Syria. How about the, the Trump administration
3: Caribbean? cutting a peace deal with North Korea? I don't know. That seems pretty bad.
2: Well, I, I opposed officially oppose that. All those initiatives. <laughs> you, you could you could read John Bolton's <laughs> yeah. book to to, to hear my opinion. Yeah, yeah,
1: oh, opinion John, on John that. Bolton, courage. Yeah, it doesn't count. I'm gonna split the difference John between Bolton, the two and go back. Doesn't count. Go back to Seth's point about. Yeah, sort of this tension between isolationism and, and and globalism. I think the go it alone approach without an international consensus is a, a disaster, especially when you know you're talking about an empire like the United States that that tends to get things wrong in certain parts of the world. And the Iraq War is a excellent example of how disastrous our bad foreign policy can be. But there are situations where. International consensus is you know is warranted and expected, like intervention in human humanitarian and human rights disasters. And there's a principle that governs this. It's called the the responsibility to protect principle. And that principle says that you know nations have a collective responsibility to intervene to prevent human rights uh, atrocities and humanitarian atrocities. Rwanda is a great example. Syria is a great example. there's there's many, many examples in you know in the world today that I could think of. Where a coalition is, you know, is justified and worthy for the U.S. and others to intervene and, and, and take action to prevent, uh, you know, China. humanitarian and you know, humanitarian catastrophes. I think China, China is is, is a good example, and, and unfortunately, the U.S. I think is just not in a position and. The world is unfortunately not in a position to take any action because everyone fears what an entanglement with China looks like.
0: And as we discussed before, there's really no body to even fucking re- legislate any of this type of stuff. It seems like there's going to have to be some sort of change in the UN structure or like who how does that even work? What what would have to happen for something like the Security Council to change? It seems like there's mm. there's like these new coalitions at play. Ignore it.
2: I would say ignore it because the Russians and Chinese do not care about human rights and they don't feel that same sense of 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 a responsibility to protect, which I think was that coined by by Samantha Power.
3: Does the United States have care about human rights if one party thinks torture is okay?
2: Clearly, I don't think the Democratic Party. Cares about human rights, given that they allowed for the deaths of 500,000 Syrians during the Syrian civil war. So I, I think it really I think is that is that the ways. retelling
3: of 20, really should we do a little the, check on what Speaker ben, Boehner was willing to approve or not approve in Syria? I think I think, I, I,
2: on. I think the vast majority of politicians in Congress in 2013, after the chemical attacks, who were calling for airstrikes against Assad were Republicans. I think that people like Ben Rhodes and other officials in the Obama administration wanted to turn a blind eye to the largest human rights atrocity in the 21st century. The unfettered use of chemical I think weapons.
4: That's, I, think that's I mean, that is an interesting... History.
0: Due to a technical problem, our conversation was cut short. Moving ahead now.
4: Apparently, like, plasma has been approved by the FDA on Trump's explicit orders.
0: Well, wow, is... Ben, you really are drunk. I didn't realize how drunk you are.
4: <laughs> I'm really drunk, dude. Look <laughs> get those um... eyes. Spending the whole eyes. afternoon so nice. drinking scotch with my father-in-law watching so wait, the let's,
0: final. Let's let's pivot to Ben's sport thing real quick, and then we no, can. No, there's no sport, sport thing. Yeah. How All about, right, about so, this?
3: Bayern. I heard they won. What happened yeah, to PSG? Ben, tell us so, about tell us about what happened at the Champions League, <sighs> League. It was very. All right. Boring. Bayern,
4: Bayern won one nil. Um. Bayern's main characteristic has been they play an extremely high line. PSG were unable to get players in behind, despite the fact that they have maybe the fastest player in the world in Kylian Mbappe playing left wing. Um, they had kind of structural issues in midfield and especially at right back. With all right, this F- is way too
0: much detail. All right,
3: so PSG lost. Yeah, PSG lost because they're as we've said the flashy superstars always lose to the great defense so thank you the detroit pistons and defending america dan beksha there it is so wh-
0: what do you uh what do you think of your nba predictions so far i told you the uh clippers mavericks celtics, would be a close series
3: hey celtics we looking pretty the celtics, good
4: they've we talk about swept this. yeah already. so they're through i do uh Slightly want to retract my prediction about the Blazers winning more games against the Lakers than the Mavericks would, especially that the Blazers are um, in the hole.
3: Right. I think I but, won all the bets.
4: Um, yeah, I mean, full credit to the Mavs because they've had to deal with like a lot of bullshit. Like Porzingis knew he played today and they still won and he got kicked out of game one and they narrowly lost. So huge credit to them. I think whichever team comes out of there is going to probably make the conference finals in the west, but we'll see.
0: Nick, who do you think is going to win everything? America. <laughs> I can it's tell okay. you who won the
2: 1998
4: championship.
0: Who did? Who won? The Bulls. The Bulls. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
4: well, I guess the guess. point is that it's um, easy to guess the in the 90s of, who won. Yeah, the winner of Clippers Mavs gets to play the winner of Jazz Nuggets, and I think both the Clippers and the Mavs are better than either of those teams. Jeez, so, I mean, that's
3: true.
0: So, ben, Do you want to talk, gonna talk about Kai Havertz?
4: <laughs> uh, he's amazing. He's the uh, recently turned 21-year-old future of the German national team, and it's going to go to Chelsea. And it's amazing.
3: Oh my god, so Chelsea's going to have the future of the German and American national teams on the same team? Yep,
4: both of them. On the okay. other side of the team. Uh, either side of, the, t- of uh, the pitch. Of the
3: pitch, nice. I guess I'm a Chelsea fan now for life.
4: You should be. Pulisic is uh, Pulisic is really dope.
3: And so, I like how uh, I liked
0: your term last week. Been uh, what was it? Uh, sport washing money. That mm-hmm. I guess that applies with uh, the UAE. I I see fly Emirates on everything nowadays. It's crazy mm-hmm. how much the Emirates has spent on branding their country over the last decade or two
4: yes and yeah, um you know same applies to, the, to psg same applies to manchester city same applies to some extent to chelsea as well um you know my fun. favorite team but um chelsea at least is not owned by literally the state uh, as is the case with man city and psg so there's certainly a lot of uh a lot of bad shit that's going on, especially with regard to PSG being owned by uh, Qatar and all the stuff they're doing in the build-up to the, the next World Cup.
1: And the Saudis are going to make a huge push on this. They just opened their, their country up to tourism, and I uh, think they're going to be a lot more visible uh, branding and promotion and stuff.
4: Crap What's interesting um, is that the Saudis just got uh, rejected from... Taking over Newcastle for- Oh, that was
1: rejected. Yeah. Uh,
4: I think a lot of it has to do with um, the piracy in terms of Premier League television rights that is going on in Saudi Arabia. So it'll be interesting to see if they clean that up, but Newcastle is obviously a big historical team that has suffered of late with a shitty owner, so.
2: You think they'll branch into NASCAR, like the UAE or KSA? I, I, think you have think really I think there's a chance
4: that's going to happen. Maybe Formula 1. Formula, Formula are- 1 is like where you might have something. NASCAR, no. Like, you know, Red Bull is a big player in Formula 1. They're a big player in German football. But NASCAR, no.
2: They'll have to compete with Jiffy Lube. Uh, well, I
4: don't, <laughs> I, don't necessarily, I don't necessarily see those as being comparable, but Perhaps you're right.
0: Clash of civilizations. <laughs> if
4: Islam, um,
1: so I, I, dis- uh, I disagree. There's well, think- so many parallels between the Saudis and Red State America?
3: I think exactly. I think it's probably likely to happen. NASCAR team. Well, that's 100 true. Good work. Well, um,
0: so should we talk about the other important stuff that happened this week? I mean, for me, at the Democratic National Convention, every, I mean, I thought it, it went very well, et cetera, et cetera, but. Michelle Obama's speech was by far the best. That's Interesting. The
3: I, was a, I was a fan of probably Elizabeth Warren's speech. I thought she did her just like a perfect five minutes. But Michelle Obama's was also phenomenal, as was uh, Joseph R. Biden Jr., our 46th president.
4: I thought that Biden, in terms of where the bar was, I thought that he really, really did the best compared to what the expectation was.
2: Uh, I, I think I'm I'm w- really waiting, looking forward to the GOP convention to listen to that St. Louis couple that pointed their their guns at protesters. <laughs> I think their their speech is is going to be like none none, none like uh, anything else, yeah. with the exception of Dr. Stella Emanuel, who's the demon sperm doctor. Who I, well, I don't know if that was true. And you
4: get to hear Trump at 10 p.m. every single day, like yeah. all four days. He's going to talk. It's kind of amazing
3: that, of course, Donald put himself as a speaker every single night because the world needs more Donald Trump. (laughs) And literally half the other speakers
4: are his family members.
3: Right. His family or his employees are the speakers at the convention.
0: Ted Nugent's going to be there, I assume, right? There's going to be some good people.
2: Is he going to be there in person or is it virtual? (laughs) Um, I don't know. Secretary I Pound did Hayes hear that Trump is going to try
0: real. to use the National Mall for like fireworks and stuff.
3: Yep, and he's doing it from the White House. His speech, one of at least one of the nights. Mm. Yeah, fun stuff. Very, very
0: what did illegal. you think, Salah? Any anyone stand out for you?
1: Uh, we we missed most of it. We've been catching up, uh, streaming them. But I I thought Barracks gave me kind of goosebumps in in the gravity of what he had to say, and it's uh, it's chilling to see. Uh, a leader like that genuinely scared about you know about our democracy
3: yeah Yeah.
1: and
0: i guess what
3: did y'all think of the whole steve bannon thing Uh, it's just amazing predictable right predictable i mean i think that's the problem is i think it's like oh donald had no idea that his former lawyer was committing felonies or his former campaign ceo was committing felonies or his former national security advisor was committing felonies or his former campaign manager was committing felonies or his former political advisor was committing felonies, or his, the, the list goes on and on and on and on. He had no yeah. idea. I just, and no I also find idea. the
0: the that one guy that uh, Bannon was in partnership with. He's like a w double amputee, and he was using. It seems like he was using sympathy for his affliction to get donations basically like the shit that these people do is insane to me
3: yeah well only one solution vote them all out of office Um. vote okay. democrat for the rest of your life on that note I think it's a great way to end it I'm very excited for Trump this week I haven't got <laughs> enough of him in my life four nights in a row of Trump tre magnifique
1: T- Tiffany's gonna be uh, speaking Tiffany sp- yeah. I know, Tiffany got they're, the nod they're really reaching in Yeah. are,
3: is, are Donald you, Jr. Back and ben- Eric back as well benches. or no yeah, no. Of of them, Ivanka, the Honorable Ivanka Trump is speaking Everyone, one night. Unclear Barry, with Baron. The Honorable Trump. Uh, Baron is still underage. So I do not think he is uh, speaking.
2: I want to hear from him. Uh, yeah. I think it's
3: good if children are, you know. He's probably
0: children. on TikTok. You probably can find him on TikTok. <laughs>
3: Might be. Not speaking at the convention, sadly, is Claudia Conway, who is a great <laughs> Twitter feed.
1: If you ever want to hear <laughs> some dirt she about She filed for emancipation, Twitter. apparently.
2: This was some of our best banter ever.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of What Our Point Weekly. Please send this to all your friends and enemies, especially Republicans you know, as we go into this week's Law & Order RNC.